Democrats like to talk about the falling crime rate, which is a lie, unless they're talking about Venezuela's crime rate, which hit a 22-year low. Wow, what an accomplishment. How did the Maduro regime do it? By sending their damn degenerates, criminals, lowlives, and thugs to the United States of America, and plot twist, Venezuela won't take them back either. The show starts now. So if you don't recognize your country now, just give it a couple years because it's only going to get worse. Over 7 million illegals let in under Biden, and that's a low estimate that doesn't include the millions of gotaways. So let's take that 7 million plus that have entered in the last three and a half years and then assume at least 10% of them have babies. And there you have it. Adios, America. And I know the pearl clutchers will say, but Tommy, they enrich our country and they pay taxes. Well, first of all, BS. They suck more than they put in. And as far as their enrichment efforts, also BS. You can't tell me someone who doesn't respect our country enough to come legally enriches our country. I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. So try that talking point on some other sucker. And what about the criminal element? The already criminals are soon to be criminals. The ones with lawless actions in their home countries who come here and then they recommit crimes. Well, that isn't occurring via happenstance either. Leaders in other countries might be authoritarian overlords, but they ain't dumb. Take Venezuela, for example. That hellhole country is nonetheless celebrating a 22-year low in violent crime because they're sending all of their degenerates here. And they aren't taking them back either. Venezuela has stopped accepting flights of migrants deported from the U.S. and Mexico. The Maduro regime decided it's no longer going to cooperate with that. So I guess that means that we are stuck with people like Jose Ibarra and his brother. Venezuela is using our country like a damn pocket hanky for its problems, and we just keep accepting it because Democrats really need the votes. But we're supposed to clap and applaud when jokers like New York City Mayor Eric Adams say criminal aliens should be deported? But those small numbers that are committing crimes, we need to modify the, uh, the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. It is a right to live in this city. Oh, goody. Oh, wow. What a novel idea. Allow immigration and customs enforcement to enforce the law. Oh, thank you, Mayor Adams. Thank you for giving your blessing for this just remarkable mechanism. You should have been enforcing the whole freaking time. Folks, expect this to continue. All of it. These Democrats like Mayor Adams and Joe Biden and others will suddenly pretend to do something about the invasion crisis without actually doing anything about the invasion crisis. It's lip service for the masses because there's an election in November. But until one of those snakes says they plan to deport all 7 million illegals they've allowed in, well, they won't be getting applause or credit from me, and they shouldn't get it from you either. But moving on to Michigan now. Yesterday, the Wolverine State held its primary elections. Arabs in Michigan are still miffed at Joe Biden for his lukewarm support of Israel over Hamas. But while noshing on an ice cream cone, Joe Biden assures us a ceasefire is coming. Well, I hope by the, the beginning of the weekend, I mean the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. Oh, look, the ice cream king in his natural habitat discussing global affairs while licking on vanilla. Intimidating, for sure. 
Joining me now is host of the Tudor Dixon podcast, also hailing from Michigan, Tudor Dixon. All right, Tudor, I'm just going to jump in right off the top. Before I get to Michigan, I got to talk about some of the breaking news today about uh, one Senator Mitch McConnell, who announced that he will be stepping down from party leadership come November. Well, what are your thoughts on that? And will it make a dang bit of difference? I think it's important because I think it shows that our side is recognizing when it's time to step down. It's kind of a message to the universe right now. There's someone else that should be saying it's also time to step down and he's not. So Mitch McConnell, have we've seen some of these times when he just kind of freezes, when he's struggling to talk. I think it's time for uh, he's made the decision. It's time for him to step down. I would say it's time for Joe Biden to step down as well. So I think it's a good message from the Republican Party. I'm anxious to see who's going to step up. And, be, and will be elected leader, but the, that'll come. And I, I hope it'll be someone young and we'll be able to say, look, we're the party of new things and new beginnings. You know, I think it's less about his age, though, and less about his cognitive ability. I think for me, if I were to speculate, I would say more so Mitch McConnell is stepping away or stepping aside because he doesn't want to deal with maybe the Trump issue or maybe, you know, similar to Kevin McCarthy, there's the two combating factions of the Republican Party, and maybe he doesn't want to be in the crosshairs of that anymore. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe that has something to do with it as well. But I'm wondering who you think is going to assume that position. Is it going to be kind of that uniparty establishment, we love Ukraine side? Or do you think it's going to be somebody maybe more on the Donald Trump mega side? And if so, who do you think on either side would be prime candidates for that position? Hmm. I think that it's probably going to be someone more so on that that side of Donald Trump, because I know he has a lot of influence right now. And I know that the, just the chatter has influenced people online. I, I don't know who that will be. I haven't heard rumblings of that yet, but I think that it's going to be very hard for somebody who doesn't have the support of the public and that kind of the chattering classes on X to get through and do this. And I think the Senate is going to push that. But I also think you don't have as much of a, a difference in the Senate as you do in the House. You won't have a lot of the people you know, in the House, we have quite a different group of, of folks that are pushing people out. And I don't think you'll see that in the Senate. I think there'll be more of a consensus there. Maybe like a, a, a Marsha Blackburn or someone like that. Oh, I would love to see Senator Marsha Blackburn. But I just have this nagging feeling that it's going to be somebody like a Senator John Thune type who has been following Mitch McConnell around, kind of eating his breadcrumbs from my home state of South Dakota. So... I feel like it's going to be somebody more in that vein, which doesn't please me, but I have a feeling that that's probably the direction it's going to go. Let's just jump right into Michigan. Obviously, Donald Trump with a huge victory. That's not surprising. Nikki Haley, if she still lives in la-la land thinking that she's a winner. I'm, I'm not sure why, but she's vowed to stay in this thing despite uh, her track record of losing and losing and losing and losing. What do you think is the end game for her? Do you think she's going to try to run third party? Do you think she's going to try to stick it out to the end and then just go away from the Republican Party, almost like a Liz Cheney? What do you think is in store for her and when? 
I don't think that she actually does want to leave the party. So I know there have been people that have said no labels. I think there have, I've even heard people say, oh, she'll switch to a Democrat. I don't think that's what this is. I think she still has the financial resources to keep going, but those are drying up. I mean, it was a similar situation with the other candidates. As soon as that money was drying up, they said, okay, now I have to pack it and leave. We've seen some of her donors make big announcements saying, you know what? We see that this is not a winning strategy. We're going to walk away. Once the funding dries up, you can't keep going. And so that's just going to be the facts for her. When she has no more money left, she's out. And I think she can tell that because there's a difference in her in in her emotional state. When you see her, like last night on CNN, she was just a different person that we've seen a few weeks ago. It's a hard decision when you're in the midst of a campaign. You've had all these people telling you, you know, we support you and we're going to keep you going, but also we need you. And you feel a dedication to them. Once the resources dry up, then you can truly go to them and say, hey, I did my best. I ran out my funds. I can't keep going. Yeah, I don't think that she's too concerned with her position in the Republican Party either. I think she's going more scorched earth on that. She'll find a nice position on a board somewhere, and that's where she'll spend her time. Right. Um, I think the more interesting story from Michigan is on the Democrat side and the uncommitteds. You know, we know that Rashida Tlaib was encouraging uh, Democrats to vote uh, non-committed because they wanted to send a message to Joe Biden that he shouldn't support Israel, even in the, the kind of dismal way that he has been supporting Israel, in my opinion. Opinion. But these uncommitteds, I mean, over 100,000, that can be difference making in that state. Do you think that's going to carry through to November? I think they're very concerned that it will carry through. Now, all the Democrats are out saying, oh, this was just a message they were sending in the primary. But the interesting thing about Democrats is that sometimes they don't think about the fact that they have pushed something to a point that they can't pull it back. And I would like to pick apart college campuses on this one because the college campuses are the ones that also went uncommitted. Those are also folks who are saying, hey, we don't like Biden's stance here. So how do they suddenly pull that back on college campuses when they've indoctrinated all of these students into believing this is exactly where they have to be? And you have someone with a very loud voice in Michigan. Rashida Tlaib is well-respected. She is liked by her community. She is also loved by the progressive Democrats. Those are the students that you have in these universities. It is a clash right now between Gretchen Whitmer and Rashida Tlaib. And Gretchen Whitmer is shaking in her boots because the last thing she needs is to have someone more progressive. When she has been the governor of abortion and she has been the woman's rights champion, now she has somebody who has a different cause and it's a beloved cause among young people for some reason. But that is going to be a real challenge for Gretchen Whitmer to get past as co-chair of Biden's campaign. She was out there posting videos of herself phone banking. We're going to get the vote out today. I guarantee you she woke up and someone got fired on her staff because they are not prepared for what is hitting them with young people. And I think it's kind of beautiful. So what do they do, though? with these young people. You know, they tried to buy them off with the student loan forgiveness. Kamala has a new idea that we'll get to in a moment. But what do they do with these people that are seemingly, you know, pro-Hamas, pro-terrorism? Um, what, what do they do with them? Does Joe Biden have to concede something? Does he have to go just completely turn his back on Israel? Would a ceasefire do it? I, I'm not really sure because I don't think that these people, like Rashida Tlaib, I know they say that they want a ceasefire, but it feels more like they just want the Hamas and, you know, the 
the Palestinian state to rise and they want Israel to be wiped off the face of the earth. So until that happens or until the Democrat party at large advocates for that, I'm not sure that they come back to the Democrats. So what's it going to take for them and how detrimental is that going to be to, you know, Israel and our relations with them? And it's, I mean, this is the definition of a sticky wicket for Biden here in Michigan. Michigan is a key state. He has to win Michigan. He has to then concede something if he wants to win these votes over. He can't do that. This is our ally, our only ally in the Middle East. We have always supported Israel. He also loses massive amounts of Democrat support if he decides to change his policy over there. So now he's in a position where he's in a lose-lose. He cannot win these people back. So the strategy is not going to be to make a change on Israel. He's going to try to win them back on abortion because Gretchen Whitmer is going to go to him and say, hey, look, I can destroy Joe Biden with abortion in the state of Michigan. I know the plan. I did it with Tudor Dixon. I can do it with Donald Trump, too. The problem they are going to have is that Republicans are going to come out and say, look, you're not going to switch over. There's not going to be a federal ban on abortion. You're not going to get 60 senators. This is not a federal issue. And in the state of Michigan, this is enshrined in the Constitution. The abortion issue is done in the state of Michigan. Republicans have to make sure they get that message out that this is not an issue. And then the Democrats are really in trouble because they don't have their go-to plan and they actually have a group of people that are totally against what they're doing right now in government. I just worry, though, that Republicans are not getting that message out because there's too many Republicans that would like to see a federal abortion ban. So they're not going out and saying, hey, listen, this is a done deal in Michigan. We're not taking away your abortions. And in other states where that's a main issue, the Republicans are not going out in force and getting that message out. They could be. They choose not to be because they are so far on the pro-life side that they're not going to say and not going to rule out a federal abortion ban because a lot of them would would really like to do that. So I think that's going to be a big liability, not just in Michigan, but nationally. Republicans right now are not united on that. They're not getting out that message that could be, you know, maybe one that's a winning one. Hey, this is up to the states. Your state's not going to get rid of abortion, but they're not doing it. And I don't think they ever are going to. Well, there's a reality if you look at the numbers and we have to be realistic about this and look at the numbers. Abortion has gone up dramatically since 2022. This is since we saw Dobbs go, and Roe v. Wade be overturned. Abortions have increased in this country. So if you are pro-life out there, then what you need to be doing is saying, look, the people are going to decide on this. This was a, the, Roe v. Wade getting overturned was the best advertisement for abortion ever. Pro, Planned Parenthood is rolling in money and they're giving it all to the Democrats. So they're getting elected and they're putting in more radical policies. Let's step back as a party and say, what do we need to do? Gosh, in Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer took money away, she took two million in grant money away from people who want wanted adoption. She took money away from pregnancy services in places like Detroit and Flint. She took health care away from people because she said that was anti-choice. But the truth is it was anti-abortion. So she's robbed people of the opportunity to get health care services they desperately need. Republicans need to be on the message of, hey, listen, we understand this is legal. We want to give you every option possible. We are the party of pro-choice, choice for adoption, choice for pregnancy services. And if you decide to go with an, a, an abortion, then you will also 
also have health care services after that because we want to make sure people in the United States are taken care of. And that's how you, if you want to reduce the number of abortions, you do that while it's still legal and the people have chosen, but you're offering them every possible option to make sure if they need something, they've got it. We have to get the Republican Party into that message. I'm proof. <laughs> I know, and everything you're saying I agree with. I don't think it's going to happen, though. I think there are too many Republicans that are too firmly planted in their pro-life messaging, and they will but never— But you're increasing abortions that they, way. But, I mean, but, how do, do you they think, not see that? Do you think some of them care? I don't think so. I don't think some of them care. I think some of them that are in the Deep South, like where I am in Tennessee, that essentially has an abortion ban— when they go out there and they say ban abortions and you have, you know, the very Christian right or the very religious right out there with that messaging in areas that they're not vulnerable, I don't think that they care about the rest of the country. I think that they are so firm in their messaging, and that's not to bash the pro-life movement. I think it's a noble movement. But as far as actually reducing abortions and winning on an issue, I think that there are some that are very safe in the South that don't care about the national message. They care more about their regional message and the Bible Belt than they do about the rest of the country. And that's been something I've been sounding the alarm on for many, many years now, and Republicans don't like to hear it. But I don't know how people like you and I get that message out. Uh, I don't think it's getting now out. Now they see it. That's the thing that makes me crazy. Now you see it. Over it, Roe v. Wade was overturned, and you saw that whatever you've been doing for the last 50 years, it didn't impact the hearts and minds. We don't have the public on this issue. The people will choose. I think it's 12 states this year where the people will choose, and I guarantee you they will choose to put abortion in their constitutions. That will be protected under their constitutions. So if you are truly pro-life, if you care about children and you care about families, make sure you are doing everything you can to support those families and reduce that number. Because right now, since this was overturned, we have just seen a massive increase pro-life groups need to say what take a step back and say what does it really mean to be pro-life and save children because this is not it yeah i agree wholeheartedly i hope we can get that message out but unfortunately i'm not sure the republican party has an affinity for winning as much as they do an affinity for their emotions and that's the cold hard truth and it's unfortunate because we keep losing and then we lose everything like this next issue which i think is the most important issue which is immigration an issue that we could win on but an issue that i also fear we're going to ruin because republicans have an affinity for ruining every policy position that they could win on unfortunately but i want to i want to talk about this and i want to talk about some of the democrat stances on this that i don't think are very popular like you've got katie porter who thinks that you know even though we just had an American college student murdered by an illegal immigrant from Venezuela, we shouldn't be shaping our policy around those crimes and around the illegal immigrants who are committing them. Let's take a, a listen to what she had to say. This happens, I think, whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness, and of loss. But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy. Tudor, what's so amazing to me about that is every time that there is a shooting, we should shape our entire policy around the shooting. But when an illegal immigrant kills somebody, we shouldn't shape our policy around that. What do you think about that logic? But how belittling is this to all of the people that are affected by illegal alien crime every single day? This is not one instance. That's a lie. I mean, uh, over and above the fact that they flipped this on the other side, and she was the one who was saying, because we've had this one incident with George Floyd, we have to change everything. Okay, besides that, 
This is not a one-off. This is happening every single day. People in New York City are afraid to walk into the streets. You've got people in Chicago who are saying, wait a minute, our kids are, they don't even get the resources that they used to get because the illegal immigrants are taking everything. But it's also, I mean, I'm telling you, Years ago, I sat down and did a town hall with 18 families that are called angel families. We actually have a name for them. It's angel families, people who have lost a loved one due to illegal alien crime. Those numbers are going up every single day. That group gets bigger. It doesn't get smaller. They don't want to add people to their group, but they do. And we don't even hear about it. I think there was another two-year-old that we just learned about today that was shot by an illegal mm -hmm. alien. This is not a one-off and it is a major problem. And these are are just the, the side things that are happening. These are just the, the scumbag here and there. What about the organized criminals that are coming in and they're going to have a bigger attack on the United States? It is outrageous that she would say this, but that is just how tone deaf they are or how much they want to gaslight you into believing this is not a problem. It also really irks me because I'm a big illegal immigration hawk and, and always have been. I have no tolerance for people coming into our country illegally. Um, if they commit crimes, that's to me, that's even more atrocious. But coming in in general illegally to me is also a problem. So then when I hear people and I talked about it in my open, like Mayor Eric Adams, that people are giving him such a round of applause because he's saying, oh, you know, if you commit a crime, we should be able to deport you. And people go, oh, my gosh, look, Eric Adams is criticizing Shanks sanctuary cities he's just he's really standing up for the people and i'm thinking you know that's the bare minimum you're going to offer your citizens is that when a criminal alien comes in already committed a crime by coming illegally commits another crime now you're saying that we should be able to deport them and people are giving you an applause line for that i'm sorry the goalposts have moved so much that these little tiny realistic things have been seen as some kind of a noble endeavor and it drives me crazy Last thing I want to talk to you about, though, is the woman that's a heartbeat away from the presidency, and that's Kamala Harris. Um, she hasn't done much of anything, but now she's come out and said the way we're going to activate young people is pay them to register voters. Let's take a listen. We have been doing work to promote voter participation for students. And, for example, we have, um, under the Federal Work Study Program, now allow students to get paid through federal work study to register people um, and to be nonpartisan poll workers. Nonpartisan? Do you buy that? Absolutely not. I mean, uh, give me a break. Now we are going to take more federal funds and pay people to vote. That's, let's be honest, this is not about registering people. This is about, we're going to give you money. You're, you're on our team now. It's outrageous. And how can nobody stand up and go, wait a minute, what are you talking about? You're going to bring a whole new group of students and indoctrinate them into your ways and get their vote. But nobody's going to argue about it. Where are all the Republicans? I haven't seen anything today. Maybe I just haven't seen it. But where are all the Republicans going? Heck no, we're not going to have our tax dollars go to them having to get out the vote army. Give me a break. Well, you know what they're going to say to that? They're going to say if Republicans do push back, as many will, I'm sure, they're going to say, oh, Republicans are trying to suppress the vote again. They don't want college kids voting because that's the easy thing to say. And for us, it's more like, no, we don't want to be paying activists on college campuses. A lot of these folks on college campuses are pro-Hamas and they hate Jews. Um, so that's part of, the, part of the problem here. We don't need more activists being paid by us to go out and activate more Jew-hating, Hamas-supporting college students. But, you know, they're going to use that. They're going to say, oh, Republicans just don't want you to vote. And that's going to be the narrative and it's going to work. 
It will work because they have the power and they have the the platform to do it, the bully pulpit. However, I do think that even college students are un, unmoved by Kamala Harris. So I think there's something to say about the fact that only she is is coming out with this proposal. That's like her big contribution to the White House over the last four years is that she's going to hire a bunch of students and give them federal funds to go out and register voters. But it's a problem. I mean, this is the kind of stuff they do. Republicans don't do this. In fact, I would argue that Republicans don't really have that many people registering folks to vote as it is. Mm -hmm. I see people here and there. They're like, oh, we got 18 people to register to vote. I'm like, meanwhile, the Democrats over the last four years in the state of Michigan, they've they've gotten like hundreds of thousands of people to register to vote. What is our big effort going to be? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't either. And you know, in just in closing, talking about these college kids and, and the problem, because these people are not gonna go away, they're going to vote. It's not that we don't want them to vote, we want Americans to vote, but we've got a real problem on college campuses with little activists, little communists running around. Um, a lot of them believe that they are smart, intellectual. They also can't pay back their own bills. So I'm not sure how smart they really are or how worthwhile their degrees that they're getting really are. But, you know, they go to college or they even go to high school now and they are now little activists. And I think we need to get to the root of the problem, as Kamala Harris would say, the root causes. And I happen to believe, Tudor, that it's parents. And I think parents are the problem. I think parents of young people, they don't want to tell their kids no. They don't want to tell their kids that they're a little communist. They don't want to cut them off from funding. I'll tell you this, I'm not yet a parent, but if I had a, a child that I was paying to go to college and they came back like a little communist at Christmas time, I would cut them off entirely. I would say, oh, you know, you like this socialist way of living? Well, enjoy it. And I think that parents now are relying on technology to raise their kids because they simply don't want to do it, probably because they're on technology themselves. So what do you think? I know you're a parent. What do you think? How do we address this? Because college kids aren't going anywhere. They're starting younger and younger with the indoctrination. How do we cut this off at the knee? I think it's happening earlier than people think, and it's happening right under their nose, as you said about the parents' situation. I mean, I'm I'm seeing this with my own girls. My oldest just went into high school this year, and I've told this story on the podcast as well. Her boyfriend broke up with her, and he broke up over Snapchat and then immediately blocked her. And I said, what do you mean? She said, oh, this is the new thing that if you get a friend gets mad at you or something, you're blocked, you're cut off of all of the group text, everything, all of this, you're just blocked from all your friends. And I said, what? Stop. We don't do that. You don't cut people out of your life like that. That is how people get depressed. That's how you end up with suicide. What is this new thing where I don't like you? I'm just going to cut you off completely from everybody that you know. I mean, we're going to cut you out of the group text. You're not going to talk to anybody. This is a new society where if I don't like it, I don't have to see it. I'm so spoiled. If I don't like you, you're out of my life. The, the etiquette, we've never thought about etiquette on devices before. We've never thought about etiquette with children in this way. We used to have face-to-face -face etiquette, sitting down and eating etiquette. Now everybody's on a cell phone all the time. It's easy to say nasty things to people. And parents are not having these conversations. If I talk to another parent, they're like, oh, my daughter would have never told me that. Why are your kids not telling you what's happening in their lives? Because it's embarrassing. Or parents like, you shouldn't be dating. You shouldn't be talking to this person. I want to know everything about my kid's life. 
Put your device down, put their device down, ask how their day was, make them tell you how their day was, make them tell you who their friends are, what they're doing, because that's going to shape their decisions and how they treat other people and where they decide to go to college and what they decide to do when they grow up. That comes from you. If you're not there, if you're in your phone, if you're letting them stay in their phone all the time, trust me, their phone is filled with dangerous concepts and messages and promotions of things that you don't want them to be seen. And if they aren't telling you, they see it. Another thing, my daughter came home the other day. She said, the school asked me to look up videos for choir. And every one of them, before I opened it, was a, an, an ad from Barack Obama. She said, mom, he I don't even know who he really was because I was just a baby when he was president. She said, but he's there. And he says, vote for Joe Biden. And then he brings Joe Biden on and Joe Biden mumbles some things. I told folks in the Republican party this, they laughed and said, ha ha, that's the wrong demographic. She's only 14. I said, you don't get it. Yeah. They've, they're getting these kids. This message is not coming from me. And if she doesn't tell me, I don't know she's getting it. You're exactly right. Parents need to take a more active role. Republicans need to take a more active role. We need to stop just focusing on the votes in the nursing home. And we need to start focusing on the young people that we're raising into this society because they will vote. And they'll probably get paid to vote, unfortunately, coming soon. Yes, they will. Tudor, thank mm -hmm. you for spending all the time. I know you got a busy day. As always, I really appreciate it, and I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. It was fun. Always a good time. All right, folks, sticking on that same theme, both Google Gemini and the FBI have a white people problem, as in they seemingly hate us. And I have some final thoughts. Folks, I have never hated anything in my life as much as white liberals hate themselves, truly. This white guilt complex is nothing new, but in the new age of woke, it has manifested itself in some of the most obvious yet bizarre ways. So here are just a couple more examples. First up is the FBI, who we learned this week not only hates Donald J. Trump and parents at school board meetings, but also skinny white women. In a recent social media public service announcement about shoplifting and organized retail theft, the FBI thought it fitting and realistic to use these two women as the poster ladies for the crime problem. An interesting choice given a vast majority of the smashing grabs look, you know, just a little more like this. Unless my eyes are deceiving me, not white, not female. But it's not just the FBI that seems to be experiencing an anti-white tinge. Google's Gemini AI text -to image generator is also attempting to rewrite history without the accomplishments of white people. Users quickly noticed that when asked to generate images of historical figures, they came out racially and ethnically diverse, even if the actual figures were in fact white in real life. It's really quite something. Due to this little issue, Google was forced to apologize and head back to the drawing board to fix these glitches. So this week we learned two very important lessons. If it's bad or illegal is exclusively the fault of white people, but if it's great, historic, or noteworthy, the whiteness can be stripped from the equation and the reality because why let truth get in the way of woke, right? Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.